Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. This is Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, PA. And uh, you listened before, you know, I've talked to people in every state, including Washington, D.C., at all levels of government. And my guest today has also been to every state, which is more than I've done. Um, and my first experience in politics in political work, not in terms of voting or maybe a volunteer effort, is uh, was in Iowa in 2002 working for the coordinated campaign for then-Governor Vilsack and then-Senator Tom Harkin, two really good elected officials. Tom Harkin, one of the best senators of all time, very progressive voice champion of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so my guest today is someone I met way back then in 2002, back when I had hair. And uh, a lot's happened in Iowa and the world since then. And we're going to talk a bit about that and talk about his work um, in Windsor Heights, Iowa, and you know what's just going on and what have I missed and what hopefully we can all learn together. His name is Joseph Jones, and he is my friend. Joe, thanks for talking today. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you and see you. So I knew even before, like when we first met, we went door knocking together um, was in 2002. Was that your first political experience or had you done stuff before that? I'd done a little before that, but never uh, in a paid capacity. Yeah. Uh, I've been volunteering before, but never something to that extent. And you're from Louisiana originally. So, yeah, I grew up in Louisiana. Um, had you done stuff there? or Because I know you've been already all over the country already by that point. Or was it were you involved other places? Um, yeah. So growing up in Louisiana is really where I cut my teeth on politics and wanting to um, door knock and phone call for folks and, and stuff. Um, letters and all those other things. So that's really where I got my first experiences volunteering on campaigns. And so what made you go to Iowa of all places? Because I know like when I told my parents I was living in Pittsburgh, where I'm from, like, all right, I got this job in Iowa. They're like, all right, that's fine. They were supportive. But what made you go to Iowa? Well, you know, every kid, you know, grows up saying one day I might get a chance to live and be in Iowa. And so I just followed my dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I... Um, I was actually living in Atlanta um, and working for the state government in Georgia, and I had taken a leave of absence from my job. And I really just wanted to go to a place um, to work on a campaign um, just for that short time period. And it was kind of like a field trip. I I went wanted to go to a place I'd never been before, uh, and then take a job using you know just my resume and applying and seeing whatever job they gave me on the campaign and doing it. And so I'd never been to Iowa before, and it made sense to go and spend five or six months in a place I'd never seen before and get a chance to to see it. And I know for me, when I had the opportunity to go work on a campaign after a training and Iowa came up, it's like, well, obviously you picked that because you get to meet a lot of people, right? Like right. that was my experience. And I think people don't understand how easy it was to meet like anyone running for president. Is that something that you were looking forward to and got to take advantage of? I did get to take advantage of it. And, you know, I think part of the conversation was, you know, if you ever wanted to work on a presidential campaign in the future, having Iowa experience is going to be really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd take it a step further and say I wasn't – I'd been told about the exposure to the candidates and how much you'd get to, you know, meet some of the, you know, the big names in politics, but also, you know, in the staff world of people who are consultants and strategists in the parties. Um but until I actually saw it for myself, it uh, it really uh, was not 
uh, in my mind just how big of a deal it was. Um, you know how much people in Iowa take seriously their their role in getting to know the presidential candidates, no matter who they are, and weigh their positions. Um, you know, I used to find it just kind of novel that people would say, you know, they uh, only vote for people who have come to their town or even mm-hmm. their coffee shop. And, you know, um, I've now become one of those people. Like, uh, there's no one who I voted for president that I've not met. And I know a lot of people can't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have that opportunity uh, here in Iowa because of retail politics and how it works. Now you're talking about important people. You and I were both on a team with current press secretary Jen Psaki. <laughs> That's right. Now, That's right. did you expect at that time, I think we both expected at that time, that eventually she would be the, pres- the press secretary to President Joe Biden, right? That We were all talking about that at the time. <laughs> it was first thing really on the top of our mind uh, as we went through those months. Wow. Yeah, it was um, you know a really great team of folks, and I think we had a, a, a good camaraderie amongst uh, characters from all over the country, mm-hmm. which is fun for our team uh, in particular. Um, but yeah, I definitely knew that she was a rock star. Didn't know where she would be headed, but uh, I wasn't totally surprised. Yeah, I tell people that like you don't realize this very important person and I were door knocking, collecting ballots, or getting people to vote in Keokuk, and like at the farthest corner of Iowa, right by Missouri or right you know right by Illinois. Like um, that's where everyone cuts their teeth, right? Like. At, you, that's your everyone's experience basically in any level of politics probably comes down to knocking some doors in Burlington, uh, Iowa. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I think um, there's something to be said. There's a community that is built by doing that work together um, and, and knowing that we all did some of that field work. Now, you didn't just get involved in politics because it was kind of like a resume builder or was neat to do. What was important to you know, putting in the effort because it's exhausting and all that stuff you did, whether it was in Atlanta, if it was just, you know, volunteering, obviously all the work you're doing now in Windsor Heights, which we'll get into. Um, were there any things that were important to you from the get go? And are those still, still the same things that are important today? Sure. So I think, you know, my original interest was a lot to do with making sure that people's voices were heard. And for me, it was the same black leaders being approached in my neighborhood growing up and not thinking that my parents were properly represented uh, by their representation. So, you know, my parents didn't graduate from college. My dad didn't graduate high school. And so I I wanted to make sure that kids who grew up in families like mine had a voice and had somebody looking out for them as well. And so I thought that if ever I had a chance uh, through my career, I was going to be that person. I was going to try to, um, talk about the things that people didn't uh, have a chance to talk about. I was going to um, think about the impacts uh, on the lives of people who um, were kind of left in the margins. And so that's really where it started. Um, So looking at um, things like uh, jobs and poverty was important to me. Um, Housing was really important to me and and still is. and you know, now as I've grown a little bit older, and some would say a little more wise, um, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about um, health and access to healthcare and access to healthy food, and um, thinking about um, other populations—not just my you know working-class black populations that I originally thought of, but also people with disabilities and the LGBTQ community and and so many others that I, you know, now feel some kindred spirit to as well. 
Yeah, so um, that's something that's interesting to me is you are looking, you said getting wiser, but you have a lot of experience in politics now in various forms. What keeps you, especially as things have changed so much from not just being wiser, but from not being too jaded and keeping yeah. up the effort because it can be, I, I, I've been talking to a lot of people in politics on this podcast, not just like exhausted from the energy put into it, just emotionally and mentally exhausted by the progress and lack of progress and backwardsness. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, we, we see people kind of, uh, you know, come in at an early age and really get involved and then they kind of teeter off because life happens. Um, you might see people jump in, and get involved in, in politics and government because of a certain issue that comes up in their community that really gets them riled up or a friend is running. And so for those of us who have done it kind of for a career, you watch those, those folks come in and out. And um, I think my, what's kept me going and wanting to be a part of trying to affect the change is that um, a knowing that I have to take, breaks for myself and mm -hmm. so taking care of myself has become more important than it once was but knowing that if I don't take care of myself then I won't be able to effectively do all the things that I, I want to do so taking time for both mental and physical health um, does not mean that I don't still enjoy a really good chili cheese dog from time to time um, but thinking through those types of things and then um, you know not not walking away because walking away means that um, the people who think ideologically different from me are going to win because they have no one who is a righteous adversary. And mm -hmm. so um, I'm not uh, giving up on democracy or throwing the towel just yet. So I'm going to keep, uh, keep on keeping on. Well, I remember coming back to Iowa in 2003. I was working for a presidential campaign, the dynamic campaign of Bob Graham for president, which – I have to look at my books. I'm not sure if he won or not. Um, so, I, and I really like Bob Graham, and he was I, I, good reasons. And I went to work for him not just because I liked him, but because I saw what staff was working for him. Yeah, is that something you've done now, seeing campaigns in Iowa, like for president or other things, and been like, oh, Sarah or Jess is working for them. Well, I'm gonna go work for look in that person because they're hiring good people. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I I do have a, a bit of a uh, bias toward uh, you know, who a person has hired to work on their team or mm -hmm. advise them, um, who their endorsers are, uh, but particularly the staff, just because you know I've gotten to know so many of those folks over the years and even the generation after us who are now becoming really well-seasoned at uh, running campaigns um, and official offices. Um, I think that, you know, that does say a lot um, and it's, it's probably weighs just as much for me in my decision-making as some of the policy stances that the person has. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. oh, sorry. Nope, that was it. Um, so I, when I came back, um, I remember you came to a training of some sort, and obviously you haven't just worked on campaigns for the last 20 years. No one, a few people do that. So what, what did you do after working on that campaign, which we won? And I think looking back, kind of weird to think about how in a midterm election um, that went really well for the Republican Party in 2002 across in, in the country, right, that Iowa voted for a very progressive Democratic senator and a great Democratic governor, and Democrats did really well then, and the world is so different now. Um, right. What did you do after your, your 
you know, career in camp painting as it might have been. Yeah. So after that, I moved more um, back toward the um, the governing side of things. So I worked in um, Bill Sachs' office uh, during the second uh, administration, um, working in communications. And um, you might recall that he uh, decided to run for president and uh, the lieutenant governor decided not to run for governor, and so I thought that I would um, stay in state government but not um, not continue in that role that I was in. So I moved into housing policy, working for a state agency here in Iowa um, that worked on uh, housing and water infrastructure, uh, and so the financing behind both those things. So it was really a great uh, transition um, to go from the executive um, to working for one of the agencies. Um, I stayed there for, for quite a bit, um, taking a leave of absence to work on um, uh, Barack Obama's 2008 campaign here in Iowa as the political director for the state. Um, and then I finally left uh, state government to go work for um, Senator Harkin in Washington, D.C. Uh, and so worked on federal policy uh, in his personal office. Now, I dearly love Senator Harkin. I remember the final phone call we had in 2002 where another one of our campaign staffers, Andy Levine, said, give him hell, Tom. And he said, yeah, they deserve it. Um, (laughs) Just a genuinely good person. I still remember when Paul Wellstone died being in the office because he had some um, people there from Harkin's staff. and, And just, you know, I think does working with someone like that keep you motivated because sometimes I'll even just think back to 20 years ago and meeting that person be like, look, that guy, he was legit. He was not bullshitting about this. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's one of these great, uh, privileges, like you mentioned that, you know, you get exposed to someone like this, you know, very rarely in a lifetime who has had uh, such positive impact on the world and, is motivated by doing good and, you know, has good days and bad days like the rest of us, but has really risen to the occasion time and time again to stand up for what's right. And so that's, that's highly motivational. Um, it's also, um, pretty, uh, inspiring on a regular basis. So having to have the chance to, you know, work on a campaign, um, back in 2002 and, you know, again, and, um, later on and then given the chance to work in the office in DC for him and now to work at the Harkin Institute, which continues his legislative legacy and priorities, I think has been really great um, because he's, you know, the type of person that, you know, any young person should grow up learning about because they, they want to emulate some of his, um, his qualities and his tenacity for standing up for doing what's right. And yeah, knowing that that is the, the responsibility I have is a huge motivation in itself. So one of the ways you've emulated him is by running for office yourself. What kind of, what was the thing that kind of pushed you to say, I'm going to put my hat in the ring. I don't see the hat. So, but what, what made you say like, I am going to finally do this for myself. So um, it was really a a mixture of things. Um, One being, it was the first time that I'd had a job. Uh, that would allow me to mm-hmm. uh, to run as well. Uh, so that was the first thing. The second thing um, was that in my um, 
in my city, we have five council members and three of those seats were up and none of the incumbents were running for those seats. One was going to run for mayor and two others were not going to run at all. Um, they were retiring, if you will. And I really liked the direction the city was going in. So I thought that, you know, we needed to have people in there who were running, who would continue the way we we're going and not try to stop or reverse. And then, Tony, I've spent my entire professional career talking to civic groups and school groups and unions and everything else about the importance of engaging and the importance of running and getting people to run. And um, I kind of had a moment with myself where it was a, it's time for you to put up or shut up. Like you, you Mm -hmm. now have the opportunity to put your money where your mouth is. And so are you going to do it or not? Um, And so I finally decided to practice what I preached and, and decided to do it. Now, I'm really excited by a person running for governor here, Josh Shapiro, who, of course, you, even though you've never met him, you agree he should do my podcast. Um, <laughs> I do agree. So, uh, but he's got this campaign where he says you got to put your, um, you got to take your shot. Like this is a, kind of his initial video was a responsibility to run. And I think a lot of us here in Pennsylvania agree he had a responsibility to run. Do you think having seen that up close, both as an activist in terms of volunteering for efforts, a campaigner, and as yourself, something where people, if you're interested in, in things, you have a responsibility to step up, whether it's the opportunity? I think so. I think that, that people have um, a responsibility to do that. You know, There's a responsibility just as being a citizen to to be engaged and to, to take your um, your uh, responsibility seriously by not only engaging and voting, but by talking about it, by encouraging others to vote, by stepping up to run. I think people who've had um, experiences and gained the trust of folks like their neighbors and their coworkers should take that next step and um, and be that person who uh, represents them and, and who wants to do what's right by them. Because we need people um, to not only do it, but to feel like they are empowered to do it. Uh, and I think part of that is to, you know, take our civic responsibility and duties um, much more seriously. So tell me a little bit about Windsor Heights, because yep. I think people think about Iowa and they just think about Iowa as all one thing. And obviously right. that's not the case. I really, I still really love Iowa, even though it's been a long time I've been there. So what's Windsor Heights like? Because it's so it's not a big big place, but it's connected to a wider community. That's right. So um, Windsor Heights is a suburb of Des Moines. So we're in the uh, the central part of the state, uh, just a little south of center. Um, and Des Moines is the largest city in the state. But it has a lot of contiguous municipalities that are right next to it. And my small area is called Windsor Heights. It's about 5,200 um citizens uh, who live there and it is completely landlocked it's surrounded by um, Des Moines and three other suburbs um, all around us Um, and so it's a bit of a bedroom community where folks uh, live there but work in Mm -hmm. in Des Moines and West Des Moines and other places uh, but really come back to our area at night because it is quiet we have a great park we're on a trail system um, we have a lot of uh, amenities that are that are right there and a lot of access to, you know, remember I talked earlier about access to food. So, you know, mm-hmm. grocery stores that are really uh, in close proximity um, and other things, other services that people might want to use, restaurants and um, 
small businesses that are right there on our, our main uh, drag. And so um, the community is uh, fairly engaged when it comes to um, what it is the city's doing. So we have a, a vocal and interested community in, in terms of um, taxes and services, um, not in a bad way. I think it's great to have that, uh, that level of input. Um, and so uh, that also means that you don't know if a meeting is going to be 18 minutes long or three hours long, depending on if there's something on that agenda for the city council that really piques someone's uh, interest. And, but um, wouldn't have it any other way. And um, like I said, it's a, it's a nice, quiet um, community. And for me, our, our borough is right next to a bigger um, metropolitan area, King of Prussia, obviously in Philly, too. So, again, I don't necessarily call Bridgeport a, a bedroom community in the same way because I know what you mean. Um, there is kind of a push and pull sometimes, right? You have that, too, where a lot of neighbors and they talk about development are like, oh, you're building another housing place or um, we, we want another business here. But it doesn't there, – there's not the incentive from a builder to do that because they would rather go to the business district that's five miles down the road. Right. Um, is that something you're seeing too? Like what people sometimes want in their town is also not um, practical for the people who would invest the money in the effort. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of the struggles when it comes to, to housing has always been like, you know, can we, ins you know, do we do infill? Do we do new development of this or that? And it's um, sometimes difficult to get folks in there to, to work on those types of things because of the, the economies of scale and, and getting developers' attention and that sort of thing. Um, we also sometimes go through the back and forth of, is it more important to, um, to focus on getting um, larger, maybe regional or, or nationally known entities in as businesses, or is it more important that we spend our focus on our smaller locally homegrown businesses to um, to set up shop. The other thing is, you know, how do we properly as a city incentivize um, those businesses to come and how do we properly incentivize some of our residents to stay? Um, you know, so thinking about things like many of our folks are, um, are, are seniors or older and uh, they've aged in place in their homes. And so when new uh, buyers come in, to buy those homes, there's a lot of work and updating needs to be done. And so can we help to uh, incentivize those uh, upgrades and, and rehabs? And um, and so I think that, you know, there's like any area, a, a push and pull on, do we continue to do the same or do we something different and new? Uh, and is that going to change the status quo so much that I don't want to live here anymore? And so... Right. You know, for, for us, you know, sometimes it was sidewalks um, as part of our major discussions and whether or not we add more or not. Mm -hmm. um, and in others, it was, you know, I don't think we need to spend money on amenities like, you know, a, a bike hub or a skate park or something like that. So um, it is interesting to hear people's opinions and, and why, why they come to that conclusion on, on their use of tax dollars. And for me, I was talking to one of our uh, our solicitor and our police chief about this recently. It's uh, I feel like people on the outside of government, well-meaning people, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, and independents, um, 
you know, they don't know what it's like on the inside of government. Like if I had an extra $500,000 to spend, as liberal as I consider myself to be on things, I would hire another police officer because we could use it and the budget-wise, that's what we need. Yeah. Um, have Even though you had a lot of experience on the outside of government, were there things that you learned that kind of tweaked your perspective of, oh, I didn't realize that this would be so hard to do or, oh, now I've got to focus on these kind of menial tasks that don't get the same level of attention from everybody. Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there was a lot to learn, um, particularly because I had not focused much on local government um, in my professional career. It was always state or federal. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a small um, advantage in the sense that I'd served uh, for several years on our board of adjustments um, and also our planning and zoning commission. So I'd, I'd understood a little bit of, of those things, but thinking about our, our budget in totality and, and how we, you know, pay for services and, you know, police, fire, EMS, you know, all that public safety stuff is, you know, it's your number one job and to keep your, your citizens mm-hmm. safe and to um, help have a, an effective uh, force of individuals who are, serving the community. And um, so, yeah, I think there's some of those budget discussions and, and some of the many things that we have to, to do to include like last night, last night was our, uh, our purchase of salt conversation, right? So we have to buy all of our salt now for next winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just thinking about the cost of things like that, that never would have really crossed my mind uh, to the extent it does now. Um, yeah. So there were, there were a few of those, of those things where you you want to go in and, and shake things up and change things, and then once you really start to get into the weeds, you, you realize that um, the places where you saw the red flag weren't necessarily red flags. Now, speaking of changing things, and this is something I've been I need to ask you for this. Like I said at the beginning, we worked there. We got Tom Harkin elected at the same time that George W. Bush was still riding high on nine uh, eleven popularity and that everything. Um, and Iowa now is a very different place politically to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it had voted Chuck Grassley before since the Civil War, basically. So it's not like they hadn't voted Republican, but it, they had voted for some great Democrats who were not shy about a lot of their positions. And even when we were there, like one of the Republicans was a rather liberal Republican, Jim Leach. What's happened? Like, do you have, like, you don't have to answer everything. You don't have to solve Iowa. But, like, what do you think was, like, is it social media that's changed things? Is it just people speaking to things? The um, the housing market crap? Like, what, do you think there was anything that you could grasp on and be like, you know what? These are the things that are changing the country and kind of ossifying our our views in a negative way. Yeah. Well, you know, I think... You know, and you've seen this too. I think there's been um, a lot of conversation about whether or not social media was a part of this, and I think it has been. I think you know people have felt emboldened to say things that they would not have before, and I think people have been able to find their um, other like-minded communities through social media as well to kind of encourage and enable some of the negative talk. I think. People have been, I think good people um, have been um, discouraged uh, from running because of the amount of money necessary. Mm -hmm. 
um, and also just the negative side of it. So do you want to subject your friends and family to the, the sort of scrutiny and, and all the negativity that goes along with it? So what you're left with sometimes is people who um, are there because they want to fight. They don't necessarily want to work on legislation or work on things that are, are positive. So I say that as part of the, the context for you know the, how tough some of the campaigning has become and, and what the governing means now. But um, I also think that messaging, you know, is so key. And I think the conversations that uh, Democrats were able to have um, in the past about um, you know, the economy and about housing and food and good jobs um, has been lost in many ways. And I think Republicans have done a very good job of talking to some of those same voters about issues that really matter to them. Uh, in a way that connects with them. And so I think that one party has done a, a much better job of connecting, telling a story and messaging, and the other has has not. And I think that's really been the difference. Um, I think that there's a sometimes an over-explanation of things. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, on the Democratic side, I think that there's a desire to to be right so much so that it bores the voter sometimes. Um, and I think on, on the right, their, um, their desire to win is uh, palpable. Uh, and so not, not for good or bad for either point, but I think that there's, there's something to be seen about how the messaging works to, to both get the base, but also to get those um, independent voters or swing voters who have not made up their minds. Do you think that a lot of us, maybe not you and me because we've stayed involved, but do you think a lot of people got complacent? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we as a, a country have a lot of folks who just kind of think that government runs on autopilot and you don't have to really engage or, or, or turn anything up um, on any regular basis. And I think there are a lot of people who have become complacent, disengaged, um, to the benefit of you know their family and work and other things that they've gotten involved with their community things because you know for the most part we have been able to just kind of keep within a certain range of the pendulum swing um, but now we're we're swinging to extremes and so we're not able to uh, we're not able to check out and do our own thing as easily um, without having to keep an eye on what's happening in the big picture. Well, speaking of swinging to extremes, the same week that you were figuring out what salt to buy, it came out that we it's very likely, it seems like the Supreme Court is going to be overturning abortion rights in this country. And obviously that's got negative impact, not just on politics, but on the actual health of women. Um, mm -hmm. What Do you think that that will have the effect of kicking people out of that complacency? Or do you think that... It, we're too far gone for for that, and you know maybe we're in a dark place. You know, I think that um, well, time will tell, right? We we right. know that there is a, a leaked um, document. It's not a uh, included thing, um, but all signs point to this is the way it's going to go. And I think a lot of people have been anticipating that for the last several years, uh, and so. Um, a lot of those thoughts are, are coming to fruition. I think you're um, you're on the right track in that people um, who are riled up by this fundamental issue and then the more generalized uh, health and health access uh, conversation and then the uh, 
the uh, conversations about you know what someone can do with their own person um and then the 14th amendment in general and, and so i think that you know it gets larger and larger and larger and as people think about the the impacts of what this decision might be then you know it might kick people into gear to um to re-engage because i think this is just i mean this is obviously one of the larger ones but this is one of many issues i think that are coming to a head for us yeah so I, for a lot of people paying attention to politics, and again, like you said, it's not like it just happened overnight, though overnight was a big deal. Um, right. it, things can seem really dark and worrying. Um, I've been asking a lot of my guests on this podcast this question. What, from your experience now, gives you hope for the next two years or 20 years, given your experience? Can you feel hopeful for the future of governance? I feel hopeful that um, that people in our country do want to have a democratic structure. Mm-hmm. And you mean small d democratic, like small d, yeah, yeah. democratic structure. Um, what concerns me is I am not sure that they all know what that looks like for them, um, or what they would want out of it. Uh, I am concerned that our Education and our politics have both eroded what our government should be. And um, so I can't give you a 20-year optimistic outlook. I can give you a, a two to four years mm-hmm. question mark and say, we'll, we'll see by the end of 2024 how things stand. All right. Well, that's optimistic. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Leave me feeling good. I am just going to buy my home in New Zealand now and check out for the best. (laughs) Um, So, Joe, I know I didn't see you on social media. You're not active there, which um, probably preserves your mental health. Um, But if people want to learn more about Windsor Heights or about your work or the Harkin Institute, any of that, what would you like to plug? Where would you like people to go to learn more? Sure. I would, I would like them to go to um, windsorheights.org. That is the city's um, webpage. Um, or harkininstitute.org. That is the work of the Harkin Institute for Public Policy and Citizen Engagement. Um, they both have social media um, as well. So for folks who do want to follow along or watch former videos of council meetings or of our work at the Harkin Institute, uh, you can do both those things uh, there as well i hope they do and i hope that you find time to come out to philadelphia sometime i will get you some better food than whatever you just mentioned um and uh take you around town to the philly suburbs where you know we're we're kicking butt and taking names that sounds great i would love to see it all right good luck in windsor heights and if you're listening uh maybe you should consider running for office too